Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I think the the ones who went on to do better didn't get drunk the night before. <laughs> An amazing yeah, coincidence I would, there, perhaps. I would, I, would, I would learn from that if anybody gets <laughs> okay. the opportunity. Well, hello and welcome to the Bakedown Podcast. Uh, my name is Josh Landy, founder of Bake With A Legend, which we'll come on to later. Each week, alongside Bake Off alumni Howard Middleton and Jane Beadle, we'll be reviewing the latest happenings in the great British Bake Off tent. And so for those of you who want some extra insight and some of the inside knowledge, you are in the right place. Uh, we should let you know we are completely unaffiliated to the show, or indeed Love Productions, but we are huge fans of their work. So Jane, uh, firstly, Jane, thanks for coming and being part of the podcast. This is great. Well, it's an absolute pleasure. And, and being part of Bake Off in even the smallest way. Just talking to you, Josh, it is absolute delight to me. Well, you weren't the smallest way. You were all 10 weeks of your series. Oh, well, smallest way talking to you now. I'm sort of clinging on to Bake Off with my fingernails. Right, Bake Off stardom lives on. Um, and, and Howard, um, you were back on Series 4, we're now on Series 10, but uh, do, do people still come up to you and, and sort of say, are you, are you Howard off, off Bake Off? They, they do, and it's it's lovely because sometimes you do get people who genuinely recognise you, and then other times you get people who think they know you from somewhere but aren't quite sure. <laughs> do they come and ask you why they might know you? Yes, exactly. And they so or they think they know you. They sort of say, um, "Do you go to Slimming World, or do you go to my gym, or do you have a florist? <laughs> do you go to Slimming World? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you did, it would be an amazing coincidence. You could really confuse them. I know. Um, oh, that's amazing. Well, look, we're, we're so pleased you're here. We're here for the next 10 weeks as we're going to watch through the 2019 series of Bake Off, which I understand 16,000 people applied for, Jane. That was what Prue was said on TV did the other day. She, did she? That's an awful lot of people. Do you know how many applied in your year? No, I have no idea. I, the, the word went round that it's twenty or 22,000, but nobody would confirm. Everybody kept very stum from Love Productions. Wow. Howard, any idea of the numbers I, I, involved? I think ours was 17,000. And the, the reason why was that I remember one particular week, Mary Berry said, are you enjoying the experience? And I said, oh, yes, Mary. And she said, I should hope so. There were 17,000 other people who would like to be in your shoes. 
Wow. Yeah. That's quite cutting, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit, isn't it? Uh, of course, you were you were wrong back in the day of Mary Berry. And look, we're going to hear over the next 10 weeks so much about your experiences and what it's like to be on the show. Um, but we're also going to, of course, be looking in detail at the episodes as they go by each week. And one of my first things that leapt out that I think people will want to know, for the two of you who had to presumably keep it a secret so long, Howard, that you were going to go into the tent, yeah. just how long firstly is that process between getting the, getting the final day of going on air, let's say, and when you were told you're going to be on the, on the show? So um, the final day of sort of being in the audition process, yes. Jimmy. Yeah, I, was think, I, was, I would think that was probably... February and then I found out in March which is when they do that filming of what they call the backstory where they'll come and take some shots of you uh you know doing stuff at work so I'd pre- pretty much a month before I found out really okay they come and do a little bit of filming we saw a little bit of that in in the opening episode how do you explain to your colleagues why there's a camera there looking to do some filming with you it, it was weird really because i at the time i worked for the city council and they wanted to do some filming in a park and uh, when they found out about that they, apparently the cabinet member for recreation needed to know that the bbc were doing some filming in a park um so it's a bit bit sort of i think they're making a big deal out of this i'm just gonna be running in a park that's all um but yeah people at work i i explained that yeah, you sort of have to tell close colleagues what's happening. So your close colleagues knew? They did know, yes. Okay. And then when that, that episode was broadcast, people said that they didn't believe that this was a real office, that we'd actually set it up to be able to film in it. But it was. It was genuinely our office, and I genuinely was taking cakes into work. That's brilliant. So you had this uh, this month or so between yeah. getting the call and they came and did this this bit of filming... But then, of course, it doesn't go on air until several months after that. No, absolutely, yeah. So we were talking about um, late August before, you know, before that went on air, yeah. And, and Jane, I think people will be intrigued to know. You've obviously told your family, some of your close friends presumably knew or had to know that you, you were on the show. Who was the first person you got in touch who, who you wouldn't have told? Do you remember the first? Was it someone you hadn't heard from in years who sent you a message? Well... I don't remember exactly who would be the first person to get in contact, but I was what sixty-one, I think, when I was on when I was on the show. So very old, and the first person I remember getting in touch was somebody I used to play tennis with in my early twenties. So there was a gap of forty years that I hadn't heard from this person, and suddenly he came out of the woodwork going, "Are you the Jane? I wasn't Beetle then. Uh, Jane that used to play at." At, at where did I live? I can't even remember where I Brimwood Tennis Club, um, and yeah, so we had a couple of those appear out of the woodwork. Funnily enough, how did he find you? How did he, I mean? Don't have, didn't have a mobile number when you were twenty. No, they didn't exist when no. I was twenty. <laughs> yes. No, um, I'm assuming from my Instagram or, right. or something, um, and then googled it, and then it came up with a, an email, or maybe because I run my own business, he then That's googled true. the name, and then the contact would have come up through the business. So I, I don't know. I never asked him. I was such, so shocked. Before you went on, Howard, were you on social media? No, I wasn't actually, and I think it was it was a bit of an eye opener, really. I was, I suppose, I was a little bit frightened of of taking that plunge, really. 
Um, but I think ours was was probably one of the first series where we were, I wouldn't say uh, forced, but actively encouraged. They they said that the series before, there'd been some really nice kind of conversations going on while the programme was, was broadcast between the bakers and the public. And so we were sort of encouraged to get involved a bit more. Um, and actually, yes, it, it was... I'm, I'm glad we did that, really, because it was um, it was a great experience to do that. And you mentioned the kind conversations going online. Was there any kind of guidance given to you, Jane, about how you should be interacting with the public whilst the show's on air? Not so much guidance on how we should be interacting. Uh, we were all very naive as far as social media is concerned. Um, most of us had only just really got Instagram and some of us had never never set foot anywhere near Twitter. But what we were encouraged was to not look at any bad stuff. Because I think if people tag you in a post, they're generally saying something nice. Where they're going to say something nasty is whereas they might go, hashtag Jane Bake Off. Um, she looks like somebody from the in-betweeners ha 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 they don't tag you in that my kids found all that and then laughed at it but I didn't look for anything that I wasn't tagged in and and people were lovely I don't think everybody always has quite the same experience but we were encouraged to ignore the nasty stuff and just look at the nice stuff and I think that's that's still really really good advice because there are for every thousand lovely people there's only one nasty and they're just just yeah. not worth taking to heart but un unfortunately they're the ones that always manage to get you where it hurts and most of the people in Bake Off are not out there thinking how great they are most of them are in there feeling a little bit insecure and hoping that they're living up to previous years I know all of us did so if somebody tells us that we're absolutely useless we're probably going to take it to heart so just don't go looking for it. Okay, I'm sure we'll come back to talking about social media and the interactions um, that you have with the public whilst you're on the show. And, and talking of which, if anyone listening to the podcast wants to get in touch with us over the next 10 weeks while we're recording this, you can tweet us at BakeWithALegend. Um, and you can email us, thebakedown at bakewithalegend.com. And we'll be glad to read out your questions, some of which we've actually already got from, uh, from a request we put out on social media. So, Jane... And another question people will want to know, coming into week one, when do you meet the fellow contestants? Because some of them maybe you've bumped into at an audition, I'm assuming. Yes, yeah, some of them you may have bumped into at an audition, but you don't know them. Um, and you don't know at that stage that they're going to get through because you meet lots of people at auditions. As it happened, Michael and Candice from my year were at my final audition. I just remember... Candice's brilliant red shoes and matching lipstick. She looked so amazing. Um, but you actually meet them the night before uh, you start filming. So you walk down into a hotel. All the crew are there going, hello, Jane, how lovely to see you. And you haven't got a clue who they are, but of course they've seen all your audition tapes. And then you go into a room and meet everybody else. And that's about, I don't know, 6.30, 7 o'clock in the evening. And the following morning, six o'clock, you're whisked off to the tent. So you've only met them about 12 hours before you first enter the tent. How was that similar experience for you? Was there Abs anyone, absolutely. anyone in your final audition who made it onto the show with you? Um, yes, I think I think Mark, uh, Rob, Lucy, there were quite a few. Um, the, the, the thing that shocked me was that I remembered Nancy Bertwistle from the auditions and was so surprised when she wasn't there 
on the first, you know on that first occasion when you meet and of course she went on to uh, to appear in the series after and then and then won it so um i think they are looking for a particular mix of characters and personalities and so on and who are we to argue really about how they get that that kind of blend really yeah absolutely so you, 6 a.m you're you're whisked off to to the tent what's that feeling like of seeing the the tent for the first time presumably um well tell us howard i mean you, you were series four had you watched the first three series and what was that feeling like going into the tent for the first time I, I think it's i think it's overwhelming really i mean i i particularly remember that people often say or oh, do you get a chance to do a bit of practice before you actually start the first break and you don't there was there was a woman from from um uh, from the oven people from Neff, and she was um, explaining how the ovens worked, and I was just so overwhelmed by the fact that I, I, I'm thinking I'm in the Bake Off tent, I'm in the Bake Off tent, and then she left, and I thought, oh gosh, I don't remember anything that she'd said. So I was, I, I think the um, the home economist was really annoyed that I kept having to ask how to use the oven because I just I, I hadn't listened to anything that that the woman from Neff had said. Well, it's understandable, I can imagine. I mean, I, I'm the one that hasn't been in the tent of the three of us. I can imagine it is very overwhelming. Did you, you found the same, Jane? Or it, it was a really bizarre experience for me because we, we arrived and then we walked down into the tent to have a look at it and we're all sort of giggly and silly and, oh, my God, it's a bake-off tent. And then I think a lot of us found it to be a very familiar space. Um, obviously, we were, we were serious seven so we'd watched a few more series than you um but it felt very familiar because it's exactly as it is on the telly obviously there are cameras obviously there are sound crews around and things like that but suddenly you feel as though you're in this very safe space because for 10 weeks every year you've been watching it on a box in the corner of your sitting room so yes it was exciting but and we were all nervous, but not quite as overwhelming as I thought it would be. Right. Is that the first moment it all felt real? Because you mentioned how, you know, the February, that's when you're sort of going through this process. Marsh, I've come and done a bit of filming with you. But does it only feel real once you're standing there for the first time waiting for your, you know, the first baking element of the whole show? I think it does. And I think, I think the, um, I remember feeling this is basically a once in a lifetime opportunity and I've got to make the most of this and that in itself made me feel more nervous you know I I was I, literally it was we, because we'd started filming this was April when we started actually filming and it, I remember it was a bitterly cold day it was so so cold uh, and although you you're creating this illusion of eternal bake-off summer it certainly didn't feel like that but you you think I've got to do the best I can possibly do, really, because, as I say, this is a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Just to give some further context, so Bake With A Legend, and the reason why I know Howard and Jane, is a company that gives fans of the show the opportunity to arrange baking classes where former contestants such as Jane and Howard come and teach. So uh, if you are interested in more information on that, do head to bakewithlegend.com. And we're also going to be having some competitions during these 10 weeks where you as a listener can 
win some places at some of our upcoming classes. So I will be sure to tell you more about that in due course. Um, well, look, we are going to invariably talk about this week's episode, and uh, it, it was, you know, incredibly exciting. Um, Jane, we, we all got the picture last week, didn't we, of the the contestants for the new series? 13 people firstly were you excited about the baker's dozen what were your first impressions of uh, of all these people before you saw the show I, I think my first impression was oh my god they're so young it's a bit like when you get to my age you think policemen are young and doctors are young they're all so young phil i'm sorry if you're listening but you're the oldie amongst the bunch whereas and you're under 60 we have three over 60 um in in our year um but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Is that because it's Channel 4 and they're looking for a younger demographic for their audience? Um, I don't mind. I, you know, I think they look like a really lovely bunch. Um, and having watched the first episode, they all seem like a really, really lovely bunch. You know, we've got here seven in their 20s, Howard. Seven in their 20s. As, uh, as Jane said there, then, you know... Uh, most of them, most of the rest in the 30s. Helena, 14, Phil, 56. So it's certainly a really young crowd. But Howard, if you look at the winners of recent years, you know, Rahul was 30 going in, Sophie, 33, Candice, 31, uh, Nadia, 30. There's a trend there, you could argue. Yeah, there is. And, and I mean, we were talking about that kind of mix of personalities. And uh, obviously, there are different ways of getting that mix. You know, it's not necessarily just about age. You're looking for personalities that, that you can relate to. and But the most important thing is that basically they should be able to be to bake. So we're looking for good bakers. And I think good bakers can come from any age, really. So I think it's particularly good if you've got people who you can relate to. And I I feel I can relate to these even though they are younger bakers so that's that's brilliant yeah yeah i mean you're absolutely right if you if you look at you know even the year before nadia you know nancy who you mentioned not quite getting on in your series who was 60 when she uh, went on to the show um so yeah very clearly the success has come from from all ages was there anyone howard who, who leapt up as an early favorite looking at the picture because people on the internet have got these theories about where you might be positioned in the photos that are put out there as to how that might portray how far you're going to get. I don't know if you've, you're probably too busy, you've probably got too much going on to have a look at these uh, internet theories. I don't know. I, there used to be a theory, I must say, that, that there were two photos that were taken of the, of the full group of bakers. One was taken on the first day of filming, and that's the first time that the 13 or 12 or 13 are together. Uh, and then the other uh, photo there's usually you can tell they've got different clothes on and I haven't seen this second photo but that's normally taken on the day of the final and you can sort of usually guess who doesn't look tired by that point <laughs> so you can eliminate people but as I say I've not seen a second photo uh, the, all the photos that I've seen they're all wearing the exactly the same things that they wear on the uh in that first episode so but if if we do f come across the second photo then we might be able to uh, to decide who doesn't look tired okay i looked very fresh in my photo from the final i would have to say i was looking at one of andrew candice and i in the green room <laughs> waiting to go on and we all looked blooming howard Blo I, maybe I, blooming I, tired I, <laughs> I thought i must admit i thought candice in your year looked looked too groomed to be in the final but she completely did the whole series looking 
and, really and apparently the auditions from what um, yeah, Jane was saying yeah. um, so, so no one that you particularly early sort of early favourites just from looking at them before you even watched episode one Howard uh, not not without watching the episode no I think I think it's a I think they all look lovely friendly people which is uh, a great um, help isn't it the, 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 I mean the bookmakers I think I'm not really sure. To be honest, it's mainly for the PR of having a story about it. They did install Alice as the early favourite um, at four to one. I read. Um, so there you go. I mean, that was just purely off the off the photographs in the in the last couple of days. So really? that was interesting. Um, Alice, as I found out, was actually is a school teacher at the school I went to. So I really feel like a really? a bit of synergy to, towards supporting her. Yeah, she's a she's a geography teacher at the City of London School for Boys. So uh, good on Alice, and I, I hope that she goes far. Um, and the other thing we we should probably mention, I feel a huge affinity towards Phil. Um, Phil has actually attended a, a Bait with Legend class in the past, um, and was you know incredible by all accounts, and was uh, an incredibly capable baker. So. I think I'm personally cheering Phil on for for the rest of this series. So, um, Jane, you mentioned that you were sort of 61 when you went on. Did you feel like you you had to sort of put an arm around the shoulder of some of the younger contestants? Because it's quite a nervous environment to walk into, even if you're any age. I didn't feel I had to because uh, so many of them were actually quite young in our year. Michael was very young. I think he had his 19th or 20th birthday uh, the week he went out, bread week, sadly. Um, so yes, happy birthday, Michael. Um, but the, a lot of them were the, the age of my kids. So I think I would naturally go and help or try and encourage. But I think one of the lovely, lovely things about Bake Off is age does not matter. It doesn't matter that some of them are, as I said, the age of my kids. They treat us not as sort of the dowager baker, although... Benjamin used to keep telling me I was old school, but I guess with a twinkle in her <laughs> eye, I hope. Um, we we all still really got on. We were all doing the same thing and therefore age didn't matter. And, and I still see them now. And I had a lovely car journey all the way down through France with three of the boys who last year with... That was for Candice's wedding. That was for Candice's wedding. So um, Michael, Andrew and Tom... We were all in the car together and we had an absolutely brilliant time. And it, yeah. it, the fact that there's like 30 or 40 years between us doesn't, didn't make any difference whatsoever. No, and it comes across. You, you both, I think, have made lifelong friends mm. from being part of the process. Is that fair to say, Howard? It is, absolutely. And I think it's such a, a brilliant opportunity that you, you don't in your kind of, or certainly I didn't in my daily life, come across other fellow bakers uh, in, in the way that you do when you're in the Bake Off tent. So... Um, my reaction to that was to sort of spend quite some long nights at the hotel bar with them and and chat and i think that was a bit of a mistake on my part i think the the ones who went on to do better didn't get drunk the night before <laughs> an amazing yeah I would learn from that if anybody gets the opportunity. <laughs> well, let's take a, a look back at, at the week what, that was in the tent. And the first thing, obviously, Howard, you had 13 bakers in your year, um, and there are 13 this year. Any, any thoughts on why there are 13 this year? And why were there 13 in your year? Ooh, do you know, there were, there were all sorts of rumours about why they'd chosen 13. And I, I suppose the overriding one was that they were struggling. Uh, so normally you, you would have... Um, 
six guys uh, and six women. And they said to us that they really couldn't narrow it down to six women. So therefore they put seven in, which sort of gave you the impression that the standard of female bakers was much higher. Um, they were desperate, basically, to get uh, six men in there. But they, they couldn't actually uh, narrow it down and pin it down. Um, and actually it went on that, that in the end, um, from sort of uh, week seven onwards, they were all women in the tent. So that it would be interesting um, if it's a similar situation, if if gradually the men get get um, kicked out yeah, because well, they're, not, keep, they're not meeting that, that same high standard. Well, Rahulin winning last year was the first male winner um, in many years, wasn't it? Mm. But the previous winners, Sophie, Candice, Nadia, Nancy, Francis, you have to go back to John, I think, in, in Series 3 for the, the previous male winner before Rahul. Um, so, yeah, week one, uh, cake week. Uh, and both of you had cake week in your opening weeks in the tent. Is that... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you kind of expected that, didn't you, Jane, when you were going? I would, I would have expected it. I mean, it's fairly classic, isn't it? What do you think yeah. of a baker? You think of bakers like either making cake or bread, and you never do bread week one, she says. I don't think we've ever done bread week one. So cake is an obvious choice, really. So. The uh, the only week, actually, in the in the history of, uh, of Bake Off that it wasn't cake week in opening week was the last year they went biscuits on the uh, opening Oh, did week. they? So, oh, I uh, didn't remember that. Did it, the, uh, yeah, did it a little bit differently um, last year. That's me. Um, do, do you think that's a good week to, to start with cake? I think, because is it fair how people think of, of baking and think of cakes? It seems like the most natural place to start almost with the show. I think it is. I think in a way, though, um, it, it's tricky because it is added pressure because you know that the public are going to be expecting you to turn out these most fabulous cakes, you know, in week one. And uh, as I said earlier, sometimes nerves and things, uh, the, the, the whole experience of... Uh, it being your first time in the Bake Off tent, it can affect how you perform. Um, so there is a, an added pressure in trying to deliver your best possible cakes in, in that first week, really. Absolutely. Um, look, Jane, we look back to your time at Cake Week. You went for lemon and poppy seed drizzle cake, the technical with Jaffa cakes in your week. Your showstopper was a chocolate orange mirror cake. Well, those are things you felt very sort of secure on. Those sort of well, things you had a lot of time to practice. To be honest, you don't get an awful lot of time to practice. I mean, for me, I don't know about for Howard, we get briefed on what we've got to bake in week one. For us, it was five weeks before. Um, and then by the time you're doing all the stuff for the other weeks, you probably go into that tent having not having baked that for four weeks. So you don't get masses of time. And I'd just like to say that when they, you're sitting on the sofa and you're watching some poor contestant being grilled by Paul saying, How, have you ever done this from start to finish? And people say, oh, no, I've done it in bits. And you all sit at home going, well, it serves you right if you haven't practised it. You just don't have the time. It's not until you've actually been part of the process that you realise that having to prepare the recipes for the various episodes, which you have to do in advance because the, all the home economists and everybody getting all your ingredients have to know what you're going to bake. It's such a short period that you really don't get much time to then run through your recipes. So if you're sitting at home judging because somebody said they've not put it all together before or managed it in the time, it's because you don't get that much time to practice. Yeah. Um, so for my work, answering your question, sorry, I went a bit off there. Well, we should say you were star baker 
in, I was in Star Week, Baker which first week. was your only Star Baker week. Is that is that yeah, right? I'm it was, not. It was my only. Star I'm not week. having a go. Thank oh, you. I was hoping to do what Nancy did and get Star Baker in week one and then Star Baker in week ten, but I didn't quite pull that off. Sadly, uh, you did very well, Jane. You did but, very well. But I could argue that I was, yeah, I was, I was robbed in some other weeks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I saw a little stat that said you, you pretty much have to get Star Baker at some point to make it all to the way to the final. So only one contestant ever since they uh, went with the Star Baker concept in week two has made it to the final three without being a Star Baker, and that was Mary Ann all the way back in series two. So you pretty much know you need to get at least one in the bank to, to if you're going to get towards the end. I think people look at back at all the statistics and can make of of it what they will i mean hindsight's a wonderful thing and you can juggle i'm a mathematician you can juggle your statistics to make it fit whatever your theory is i think every week or sadly for some of them this this year um, every week you you have to be better than one other person and it doesn't mean you have to have star baker uh, you can Kate, Kate, was it Kate in the final last year? Actually, just got better and better and better, and then she was in the final. Um, you know, I think you do improve as you go through, and I don't think it matters a hoot if you're um, Star Baker. As I said, you just got to be better than one, or for one week this year, two other people. Yeah, better than two or at two, one point. Two weeks this year, because the final you need to be better than two. Don't there's you? also the bit of the curse of the Star Baker. I think in the last couple of years, sometimes people have been Star Baker and then gone. The following week, which is, uh, you know, a bit, a bit sort of a, from brutal. one extreme to it, it is hmm. really brutal. Yeah. Well, I think it was was it Anne Marie the year before me? She was Star Baker week one and went out week two. The the thing about Bake Off is you need to be a master, a jack of all trades, so you can be brilliant at cake or brilliant at bread, as Louise was in my year, and then stumbled over Biscuit Week. You know, you, you have to be able to do all of it well enough. And and Howard, your 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 time on Cake Week that was a passion fruit coconut cake, your tentacles angel, angel food, cake, um, showstopper the Black Forest revisited, and you were one of the judges' favourites that week, but you weren't Star Baker. I think that's really interesting as well because I think you know if you are Star Baker because obviously they tell you you're Star Baker, but it's not until you actually watch the program back. That you you know that you were close to being Starbaker. They don't they don't tell you who's in the running for for going and who's in the running for Starbaker. Um, That's a great point. As, yeah. a, as a viewer, we see it and we, we know oh, how exactly. it's had a good week. You, yeah, you're left to imagine how you might. We I, get some feedback, obviously, but not to the extent of what we see as a viewer. No, I I, I remember them because they're constantly the the production team are constantly interviewing you in order to to do those little interviews and they said you know you've had a really good week and so on but as I say I it wasn't until I actually watched that that program when it was broadcast that I knew that that I was even in the running for being Starbaker that way. It's an interesting point actually. We only see that when the general public watches. Yeah. So in terms of this week on the episode, it was a fruitcake uh, for two and a half hours. Is that something you would have enjoyed the challenge of straight away as you walk into the tent, Jane? Yeah, I would have loved the fruitcake challenge. And I was really pleased to see it there because I think fruitcakes are probably not made as frequently as they used to be in my mum's day. Um, I must admit, when I first heard it, that it had to be beautifully decorated. I immediately thought... Oh, gosh, Christmas cake, marzipan fondant. How on earth are they going to do that in two and a half hours? Because I immediately go into Christmas cake mindset. Um, 
and I thought the 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 way they decorated these cakes was amazing. So I would have loved it. It's it's actually inspired me. And I if I if you don't mind me sort of just digressing a little bit, I think in the past couple of years I found some of the challenges so difficult that I can't imagine many um, many home bakers sitting down and thinking, oh gosh, I'm going to make that next week and we're going to sit and eat it while we watch the next episode. But I found that the fruitcake recipe has got me really thinking, oh, I could make this, that and the other. What a lovely idea. And I think for me, that's what Bake Off is. It's encouraging people to bake things perhaps they wouldn't normally bake and give them the confidence to do that and make it very inclusive. If it gets too complicated, it gets to be a bit like Bake Off the Professionals, something that you love to watch because it can be a bit of a car crash, but not one that you want to participate in. And I think Bake Off needs to be careful that it doesn't try to get too clever. And I think from what I've seen of this episode, it's almost going back to the things I always loved about Bake Off is it makes everybody feel as though they're part of it and I loved I absolutely loved the fruitcake challenge. Howard one of the things that that came across was quite a lot of people using family recipes in in this episode with James referring to using uh, grandma's recipe um, Steph referring to her great grandma Rosie and then straight away we had Rosie using her grandma's uh, recipes and and the the tradition that's a big factor of Bake Off isn't it people coming into the tent and using family recipes it is but I, I what, what I particularly liked as well was the fact that uh, as Jane was saying it's great to see fruitcake back in in the Bake Off tent I think people People quite often think that fruitcakes, you know, take a long time to make. They need to mature for a long time. So to be able to see that people were, were using almost like tea loaf kind of recipes mm. um, was, was great. And I think, as you say, the, the fact that you've got um, kind of family references and history there, it, it, it feels lovely to have that, I think. There are a few things that leapt out to me and listeners of the podcast over the next 10 weeks will realise I'm not the expert in baking here and that's why we've got Jane and Howard with us. Um, but David's fat-free version and going to sort of carrot and squash as alternatives having fats in there, that, that was quite interesting, Jane. That was a little bit different. I thought that was in- really interesting. I'm, again, in- intrigued to try it because we're all... We get a bit of a bad press sometimes as bakers about you ought to be more responsible, less fat, less sugar, or you ought to be encouraging people to be more healthy i'm of the a little of what you fancy does you good as long as it's everything in moderation but for david to be going in what was it called squishy squashy fruit cake um i I would really love to have tried it and actually the judges seem to think it was brilliant it's got a little bit too much almond in it but that was the only thing that they they criticized him on um yeah i'm i'm intrigued to try that I, i think that's one of those ones i'm going to well, I might try and get hold of him and find out if I can get the recipe. Um, because it, the, the, also the difficulty with that is it could be very soggy. It could end up being like sort of uh, bread pudding, if anybody remembers bread pudding. Do they still make bread pudding? Where it's really soggy. Um, but it obviously wasn't. So, yeah, good for him. Do you think that's why he called it squishy squashy? Do you yes, think I'm pretty it, sure. Yeah. Just in case it went too soggy. Yeah, I've, co- I've covered my. <laughs> yes, I've, I've covered myself. <laughs> my with that one. Yeah, that's a good theory there. How um, one thing that also like, Michelle brought her own eggs. Do you ever bring your own eggs from uh, uh, to the tent with you, Howard? 
No. I don't, no. honestly. <laughs> you don't have a, do you don't have a chicken. A, I live in a tower block. I don't have a chicken. It'd <laughs> be a shame, wouldn't it, to keep it? Well, great a thing, though. Bring your own. Block. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about because you obviously you, you can, as we'll, uh, I'll ask you about another time, perhaps. You, you occasionally can bring you know items into the tent with you, but to, to have your own eggs, I mean, that's a, that's a touch that, um, well, they seem to do her fairly well uh, during this episode. Was, it, was there anyone sort of the main thing that came across is always it's a challenge leaving enough time to decorate and and that must be one of the the challenges that faces you throughout the competition and uh, timing is the thing that scuppers you and timing is the thing that makes you look foolish and incompetent because it's really tight on timing always i think what they think is how long would they need to make this six hours right we'll give them three um (laughs) Inevitably, when you're filming things, you have real-time restrictions and we had incredibly long days, so they can't give you too much time. The problem is, when you're at home devising these recipes, you have no idea who you're baking against, you know they're going to be absolutely brilliant, and you try and throw everything but the kitchen sink at it. And then you, you inevitably get in the tent and you run out of time. Now, my advice to anybody who's even thinking of applying for the next series, Series 11, is the important thing is, one, it tastes good, and two, you get it finished. So in the early stages, try and pare back and make sure that actually you can complete the task. Because looking at these, some of them are really quite simple bakes, relatively speaking, and relatively simple decoration but they were beautifully executed and I think sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves to turn out the Leaning Tower of Pisa when really we could just do you know a cottage in the garden I mean that does the fact that you've only got to be make sure you're not in the bottom one usually accepted that this season there'll be a moment where there's two that go does that play into it when you talk about safe bakes? Just do something good that's going to get you through. You're almost relying on someone else not, you know, trying to be too ambitious and it goes the other way. Does that come into your mind at all, Howard? I think it's difficult because I think sometimes when the the brief itself makes you feel that you need to be going that extra mile so that it will sometimes say within the brief, you know, it needs to be beautifully decorated, it needs to be... Um, a, a real showstopper, a stunner or whatever. And you think, I, I, I don't know what they actually mean by that. Where am I needing to pitch this? Um, so quite often people will go over the top and they could pair it back. And then other times people will, will produce something which is, is very simple and a little bit safer and, and nail it. Absolutely. Well, moving on to the, the technical challenge, the, the challenge was to make six identical angel cake slices. Um, Prue referred to it, I think, as being cruel during the episode. Is, that, is, it, is it cruel, Jane, or is how would you have res- responded to this? Well, I frankly would have loved that challenge. Right. Basically, you're making a three-coloured Genoese sponge and you're making... I can't remember what the filling. What did the filling Italian have to be? Oh, Italian meringue buttercream, yeah. and and slapping on a bit of icing. I mean, I don't want to do it down because they only had an hour and three quarters, and but I don't think it was one of the hardest technicals ever. One thing that did surprise me is some people had never made Genoese, mm. and going back to series six was that when Paul Jagger was on series six. 
I remember Paul Paul, who's an incredible baker, and I've met him several times since he appeared on Bake Off. He was doing a technical, and it was the Genoese, and he didn't know how to do it. Mm. Now, I would have thought if anybody had watched Series 6, they would all have made sure they could do a Genoese. Um, I, I think it was Helena who said she had never made a Genoese, um, and certainly it didn't look as though some of it was something that they made on a regular basis. We, I think, made Genoese about three or four times in our year. So, I mean, I would say that, wouldn't I? But um, I, th- I think that just shows that perhaps you haven't done your homework and had some of them done, made a Genoese before, they would have found it much, much easier challenge. A much easier challenge. You you, you agree with that, uh, Howard? Does that, is that I do. Thoughts? I do. Although I have to say, for the first week, I I think I would have been personally nervous at doing Italian meringue buttercream. Uh, yeah. I think I think I could have done, managed okay with the Genoese, but to do the two of them in the first technical, it is it's quite tricky, really. Yeah, Italian meringue buttercream. Is, yeah, uh, there's so, so much can go wrong with it. Especially with heat as yes. well. Um, yes, you can get a load of slop if you're not careful. Um, Jamie had to start again, um, which we which we saw. I mean, how bad does it have to be? And are you kind of looking around at everyone else to see if anyone else is starting again before you decide what to do? How did you have those moments where you, you've gone, right, I've seen someone else is starting again. I don't like the look of what, what's in front of me. I'm going to start again. There, there were rumours at one point that you weren't supposed to start again in a technical, and then I think I think they they realised that actually there's there's no benefit in that. I remember starting again um, in dessert week. We had to do the these floating islands, Ile Flotant, and uh, oh, they were terrible. <laughs> I've never made them. I'd, oh, have you not? <laughs> they, oh, I'd, I'd done that, and I think they caught. I think. Um, it was Mel and Sue at the time. One one of them commented that basically it was it was an example of global warming. <laughs> it was oh they were they looked dreadful. So I had to start again. They said you've got time, and and but you can literally see other bakers like turning round, realizing that that you're you starting again with your meringue, you know. Absolutely. And we also saw the moment where Dan forgot to even put his timer on when he was hoping to sort of have, you know, 10 minutes on there. And he looked at it and it still had 10 minutes because he forgot to, you know, very easily done. Um, Henry was the was the winner with Rosie's second. Um, Quite impressive work from uh, from young Henry. Jane, Mm, yes. Well, I mean, I I have no favourites, really. Okay, I think you've uh, you've just told us who your favourite is. (laughs) You see, Henry, my son's called Henry. Right. Okay. Um and yeah, I have a big soft spot for Henry, so he did incredibly well. Uh, I th- I think he had a, and when he crushed his little house, which was so good in the fir- in the, the the signature, and then he had a really good technical. I have to say, I was very very pleased. Um, you felt like a proud proud viewer. You can't help but want to support no. some of these. Well, young... it was twenty years old, incredible. I know, I know it was twenty. I mean. Going back to a sort of right at the beginning when we were talking about their ages, I just think it's brilliant that some of these young people, sort of 20 year olds, are getting into cooking. Yeah. And for me, as a real oldie, we used to do lots of cooking with our grands and things, and our mums, and my dad actually. My dad used to do a lot of cooking with me. Um, 
and encourage me to cook. I think we've lost a generation almost of home cooks for a variety of reasons. People are very busy. Everybody goes out to work. Um, so to see youngsters coming in and being so capable and enjoying it so much, I'm absolutely thrilled. So, yeah, the, the youngsters, both Jamie and Henry in this, but, you know, Henry, because it is a Henry. I'm afraid okay. I do love a Henry. <laughs> so, yeah, very impressive work from, from Henry in the, uh, in the technical. Let's just talk briefly about the, the showstopper, how it was supposed to be a cake you have dreamt of as a as a child. Uh, you know, what, what do you think you would have gone for in the in that scenario? Do you know? I was trying to think about that. What what I would have, and and because I've not got a sweet tooth, I suppose as a child I dreamt of crisps and and things like that, cheese and biscuits. I don't think I would have dreamt of a of a cake. Is that strange? Crisp cake, yeah. You could have had a crisp cake. Or cheesecake. <laughs> yeah, cheesecake. <laughs> Jane, what, what, what do you think you would have been going for in the in the same uh, circumstance? Again, I don't really know because I was spoilt because my grandfather owned a bakery. So in my early days, we used to get cakes from the bakery. And I remember a really beautiful ice cream cake where it was all, it was a, it was a doll when the skirt was all piped ice cream and frozen. I loved I loved that. Um, I, don't, I don't remember being mad about cake either. No. We were a bit, we were a bit spoilt, and we certainly wouldn't have had some of these. I mean, they were fantastic. It they? did, you know. The the one thing though about age, it did make me feel very old when uh, Jamie was getting nostalgic about salted caramel. <laughs> Is that? <laughs> It's only been around a few years. Yes, it yeah. has. It has. <laughs> but actually, sorry, I, this is not a, a this is not a Henry fan club meeting here. But I was with my kids this weekend. They were both visiting, and they were talking about a book. Um, the it was Enid Blyton, the folk of the faraway tree, and there was a whole series of them that I loved as a child, and then my children loved when I used to read it to them. And Henry said his was based on the magic faraway oh. tree. So, I mean, I'm sorry, but this boy must be a long-lost son of mine or something. Right. So uh, we will rename this podcast the uh, the Henry Fan Club until <laughs> until if and when he departs from uh, from this year's series. Um, whose showstopper really caught your eye, Howard, uh, in this week? Um, I mean, Jamie um, didn't put any eggs in his mix, having restarted his technical, then decided to not go for any any eggs. But who, who caught your eye? Oh, it was a bit risky, wasn't it? I mean, I have to say, we have to get it out there with the fairy garden. And and poor Phil's stroking his rocket. It's... it's you could tell that they were that the production team were having great fun with that show stuff, weren't they? You could imagine them being in the edit suite oh, and increasing themselves. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. And when, uh, uh, even Michelle's fairy toadstool, when Prue said, "I'm dribbling," and they said, "Don't say that." <laughs> it's just <laughs> yeah there were a lot of moments from, from this year's series actually weren't there a lot of moments that could be a theme that we'll uh, we'll no doubt watch uh, watch carefully changes very quickly uh, Phil I think Howard just referred to the, the cone there, but he was using this technique of marshmallows it looked like Rice Krispies what exactly was that all about yes it's it's been used a lot in past series um, I think I think Candice used it to shape the neck and head of her peacock ones. Um, I think Nadia has used it as well. It's a very good way of forming a stable structure that you can shape very easily into what you want. So you can mould it. So for, for Phil and his nose cone of the rocket, 
um, it it works perfectly and it's quite light. So if you're having it as the top tier of a cake or you've got to balance it on something else, uh, it, it's a brilliant it's a good technique. thing. Yeah, it's a really good technique. Well, it seemed like sort of, you know, Helena having not looked too impressive in the first uh, couple of challenges sort of probably got herself out of uh, and away from danger. It comes to to a key point in in the podcast each week, which we're going to call Judge Jane. Where we're coming to you, Jane, to understand was it the right decision? So first, in terms of star baker Michelle, uh, I'm not convinced that you were certain it was going to go that way. I think it was a really difficult week to pick star baker. Very often you can. And just to remind everybody that what we see on telly isn't a taste test. So we have to rely on the judges for their taste um, and stuff goes on and is said that you you, you will never see. Um, I, it came as a bit of a surprise, to be honest, for Michelle. I mean, my notes were for her bad of breath, which looked lovely, tough but with good fa- flavour. I've got tough and flat for her Genoese, although she came six, but exquisite, wonderful and faultless for her showstopper. So, but then, then Helena had the, the most fantastic showstopper. I thought that was, that was my showstopper of the week was Helena's. And I don't think she had terrible trouble with her signature. She just couldn't make caramel. Well, given my experience in the tent and those dreadful saucepans, Mary Berry told me to get a steel pan and not a nonstick. Um, bless her. Um, I don't, I don't think she had a particularly bad week. She came last in the technical. So I think there were... I thought David could have won it almost. Yeah, I think David could almost have won it. He was quite there or thereabouts on a lot of stuff. So Michelle, not that I didn't want her to win. I, I mean, I thought she did make a lovely fairy toadstool cake at the end and carrot cake's always a favourite. I just think it was a very difficult one to choose, to be honest. Absolutely. And, and then, look, it, it's never nice to see someone go and... You do all that work, all that preparation, knowing you're going to be in the Bake Off tent for months and then someone's got to go after just one week and, and that's got to be unfortunate. But was was Dan the right person to go, Jane? I think Dan was the right person to go. He seemed to have a bit of mare at all levels, really. Um, Howard and I were talking as we were approaching here for the podcast and I think it would be really kind if they didn't have an elimination in week one, gave everybody a chance to settle into the tent because it can be overwhelming and poor Dan was obviously thrown by how much fruit he had to put into his last, into the showstopper, or no, into the um, signature, sorry, and, and changed it on the day and it's a disaster trying to change it on the day. And I think he probably was more overwhelmed than anybody else in the tent and it would be so kind to give everybody a week to settle in, yeah. I think. Absolutely. Well, I, I did notice that last year's winner, Rahul, was from Rotherham. Dan was from Rotherham. People were wondering whether Rotherham uh, <laughs> was the key to winning Bake Off, but sadly it doesn't look to be no. the way this year. He seemed lovely as well. I was sad to see him go. Now, another part of the uh, the podcast is going to be Howard's Hump, which, for clarification, <laughs> which is possibly needed, uh, we want to know, Howard, what would have given you the hump from this week's episode? I, I suppose it's the same thing that gave me the hump when I, I was on Bake Off. So it, I, in our year, as, as we mentioned, there were 13 bakers, and uh, I got the, uh, the front workstation, uh, which was virtually 
past the judges' table. So you're pushed right at the, the front of the of the tent. So would you only see that for this one week? Because then yeah, you'll be yeah, 12. Absolutely. Um, so it, it had been specially created for the fact that we'd, we'd got 13 bakers. And poor Priya was, was in the same situation uh, this time. It's not a it's not bad until it comes to the technical I think and then you literally do feel like you're out on a limb because if you get a uh, workstation at the back of the tent you can sort of survey what's happening you can get a feel for how things are are going if you're right at the front you've you've no idea um you've literally got to be turning around and you haven't got time to be turning around basically Okay, fantastic. Well, look, we, we've loved talking through uh, episode one of the 29 series of Bake Off. It's uh, wham, bam, thank you, Dan, as the 32-year-old support worker has left the tent, while uh, Michelle was certainly the bell of the tent this week. Um, we are going to be here every single Wednesday, so please do remember to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast, and do tell all your Bake Off loving friends that we're here. Um, we mentioned a competition earlier. For those of you that are interested in coming to one of our baking classes led by former Bake Off stars, if you head to bakewithalegend.com slash thebakedown and leave your details, it will be a competition entry to win a place at uh, Ian Cummings' class with us here in London on the 14th of September. So if you want to come and bake alongside Ian at our kitchen on Saturday, 14th September, Go onto the website and leave your details and uh, we'll be picking a winner in a couple of weeks' time. Um, if you want to get in touch with us at any point to tell us your stories, we want to hear stories about when you've bumped into a Bake Off star. They can be in the most peculiar of places, but if you've ever bumped into a Bake Off star, do let us know. It's thebakedown at bakewithalegend.com. So if you want to get in touch, it's thebakedown at bakewithalegend.com. So just overall, how would you, out of 10, give, give episode one a rating, how much you enjoyed it? Oh, I, I think it's a 10. I loved it, actually. Yeah, no, I, I was really, really taken you, you've by You've set it. the bar incredibly high for what you're going to have to answer next week and the weeks yeah. after about well, it. Can't we can't have a 10 every week. We could, you're right. <laughs> Jane, Jane? Yeah, 10 for me too. Absolutely loved it. Okay, fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Jane and Howard. It's been a real, real pleasure to sit and watch and review episode one with you. Um, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.